Well, this month we've been digging into a book in the Bible that shows us why Jesus is still the most talked about, written about, sung about person in the world because there is no one else like him. Go to Isaiah chapter 9 and look at where we've been digging in. Isaiah chapter 9, let's read it again. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great Light, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, upon them a light has shined. You've multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us... A child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Well, this passage talks about gloom and distress and darkness in a way that most of us have felt this year more than ever, right? And so let's answer the question. Number one, what should we do in the midst of darkness like what we have seen and felt this year? Well, I'm going to answer that question, but first... I want to tell you what not to do. Because very often as human beings, we can't do what we should do because we're so busy doing what we shouldn't do. So let me push off the table what you should not do. Because even though this passage is filled with the glorious light and hope of Jesus, I hope you realize our passage is surrounded. It is surrounded By the darkness of what people so often choose to do instead of looking to Jesus. Some of this might be what you're doing in the midst of this kind of darkness. So I want to help you. Here's the first thing. Number one, don't try to deny the darkness exists. You might say, Brad, duh, who would do that? People do. I still run into people that want to assure me, oh, things are getting better. They're getting better. People are basically good. Now, this year really helped put the whammy on that, I hope. But human nature being what it is and people not wanting to turn to God, you got to do something. So one of the things you can do is try to deny the darkness. But listen to me. The longer you live, the longer you live, 
And the more you bump into the brokenness and experience the waves of darkness, you will not be able to sustain the level of denial required for the level of darkness that you will find wave after wave. You'll find moments, bright light moments, and then a wave will come in again. Don't try to deny that darkness exists. And so I hope you realize that while, Christian, while our Christmas celebrations are filled with tinsel and glitter and lights, and rightly so, please know, my yard, I've got lights all over the bushes, lights on a tree, and then a spotlight on a cross that says a Savior is born. I know the Christmas celebrations are filled with light and glitter and tinsel, and rightly so. But I want you to know the message, the biblical message of Christmas is actually set in the context of a dark, dark world. It was dark then, it's dark now. And the biblical message of Christmas doesn't try to pretend otherwise. In fact, the light of Jesus only shines brighter against the backdrop of darkness. This world got darker this year and our Savior got brighter And only looks more hopeful and helpful. It was a great year to see what matters most. It was a great year to say, am I on the right path? It was a great year to reconsider. Will what I'm doing sustain me? Can I do this for a lifetime? You see, the biblical message of Christmas is not sentimental at all. Compared to so many of the other slogans, right? Our world is filled with slogans that try to console us by saying things like, it's not that bad. Buck up. In every cloud, there's a silver lining. This year seemed to be one of those years where there was a cloud and another cloud and another cloud and a darker cloud and a bigger cloud. And we're still waiting for that silver lining. Christianity, I hope you realize, is far more realistic than so many of the slogans and philosophies that are drummed into us through commercials and songs and greeting cards. Because Christianity actually says things are bad and even worse when you consider where our world is headed without Jesus. But God has done something about the darkness. If you've had a year of saying, does God know? Does God see? Does God care? Has he done something about it? This month we're celebrating. God knows. God sees. God cares. Christmas is what God has done about the darkness. Through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the biblical message of Christmas. And that's why our chapter begins with, you ever noticed chapter nine begins with your translation might say, but mine says, nevertheless, means something else was going on. And now, oh, nevertheless, despite all that, apart from the glorious news of Jesus that's being declared in Isaiah nine, our world would just continue to spin further and further and further into more gloom and despair and darkness. And every human being, every human being, the longer you live and you start to adult, 
children are naive and can capture still that. I just, I just don't know what's going on. But the longer you live, every human being to some degree is aware of the looming darkness all around us and the creeping darkness within us. You realize our biggest problem is not just darkness around us. There's darkness within us. And yet the world so often, all, they, all the world tells us to do about that darkness is like whistle in the dark, start a new hobby, travel, make a bucket list, or just get drunk. But you cannot travel enough to get away from this. You can't do enough amazing bucket list things. You cannot stay drunk long enough to shake this awareness of the looming darkness around us and the creeping darkness within us. Filmmaker Woody Allen once said in a personal interview, and I quote, It's hard for me to enjoy anything because I'm aware of how transient things are. There are times, I'm sure you have it too, I have it. There are times when you think, my God, life is sweet. It's nice. And thoughts of mortality are in abeyance. You know, watching the Marx Brothers or a Knicks game or listening to great jazz. You get a great feeling of ecstasy. But then it passes. And the dark reality of life starts to creep back in. Yes, it does. You can't binge Netflix long enough to avoid this. You can't drink enough to avoid this. You can't stay busy or just work enough to avoid this. It starts to creep back in the awareness of this darkness, which is why Christianity never denies the darkness, but instead declares what God has done to shatter the darkness for us in his son. Which is why 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where is it found most? In the face of Jesus Christ. You see... You don't just need some light for that darkness out there. You need light in your heart. And God offers that. That's what he's done. If you think, does he know me? Does he know me by name? Does he care about me? He gave his son. And he's willing to give light in your heart. The knowledge of the glory of there is a God. He's good. He knows me in the face of Jesus Christ. See, when you have light within, it changes how you respond to the darkness all around you. It changes. Don't hear me saying I don't get scared still at times. Don't hear me saying it's not awkward and hard. But when you have light, when you're dark within and dark around, that's overwhelming. But when you have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus in you, it changes How you feel as you step into that darkness. It changes what you think you can do next. It changes your level of hope as you think about the future and this darkness. Don't try to deny the darkness exists. You won't be able to do it long. Number two, don't expect to find answers in the dark. 
We're thinking people, right? We're not made like aardvarks, golden retrievers, houseplants. So we think. We're created in the image of God. We're interpreters. So we reason. We think. We're, golden retrievers have not started a philosophy department. We have. Golden retrievers don't wear turtlenecks and smoke pipes and say, why am I here? We do. And there's a reason. You are God-like. You are created in the image of God. And therefore, you cannot be satisfied with just hear, now, touch, taste, tactile. You want more. You need more. You need purpose and meaning. You won't find those answers in the dark in this world. Our search for purpose and hope in this world without God has been described as a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that doesn't exist. That's all we can do without God. Philosophize, propose, prop up what we think might do it, but it doesn't, not for long. And so the glorious light of Isaiah chapter 9 only shines brighter When you see the confusion and darkness that was leading up to our chapter. Oh, the people in chapter 8, if you bump it back into chapter 8 and we're going to go there. The people in chapter 8 were facing all sorts of crushing social, psychological, and economic problems. Sound like any time you know of? Crushing Social, psychological, economic problems. We've had all that this year. Look at what I'm talking about in chapter 8, verse 21. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. And it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God. There's been a lot of rage this year. been a lot of cursing. Pointing to who's the problem, who's at fault. And they're looking up. But not to cry out for help, but to curse God and leaders who aren't doing the right thing. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish. And they will be driven into darkness. I want you to notice something. When you turn away from God, when you turn away from God and look to this world for answers... All you get is more trouble and gloom and distress and darkness that just drives you further into it. Because here's what you need to understand. When you turn away from God, you don't just stop getting answers. It's worse than that. You get answers that deceive you and lead you further down a path of despair. All the while you believe hope is at the end. Help is at the end. Just go a little further. Just keep going. Just keep going. It's like a carrot on a stick, but it just drives you further and further into deep darkness and despair. All the while being told there's answers. There's hope there. Get this, this darkness, you need to realize the darkness that we face in this world And in our own hearts is a self-perpetuating lie that deceives you and leads you further and further away from hope and deeper and deeper 
into despair while you think you're going to find an answer. But you won't. You think about the greatest thinkers throughout the history of mankind. Nietzsche, Freud, Darwin. Despite each one of these men having some of what they taught be totally refuted today. Here's how this works, you guys. What starts off in academia eventually ends up in television and normal people still believing it. So much of what they taught, their philosophy and thinking, is now what shapes how regular people think about their own identity and purpose in life. And yet, these men found little or no peace or joy for themselves in what they proposed. You'd like to think, right? If this is really the answer, if you practice what you've been teaching and lecturing about, you ought to have just an amazing life. Each one of these men in different ways ended their personal lives in despair, practicing what they were teaching. You can hear the despair in Charles Darwin's autobiography. This is not someone talking about him. This is Darwin talking about himself towards the end of his life. And I quote, Up to the age of 30, or beyond it, poetry of many kinds gave me great pleasure. Formerly, pictures gave me considerable, and music very great delight. But now, for many years, I cannot endure to read a line of poetry, and I find it so intolerably dull that it nauseates me. I've also almost lost any taste for pictures or music. Now listen to what he says next. My mind seems to have become a kind of machine for grinding out general laws out of large collections of facts. But why should this have caused the atrophy of that part of the brain alone on which the higher tastes depend? I cannot conceive. I can. And I'm going to tell you here in a minute what is happening to him. And it will happen to you if you go down the same path. I cannot conceive why this has happened. The loss of these tastes is a loss of happiness and may possibly be injurious to the intellect and more probably to the moral character. Oh, yes. Let me tell you what's happening. Darwin lost taste for these things because he tried to erase the God of these things. You realize great music, poetry, friendship, food, the wonders of this creation are all simply extensions of the wonder and goodness of God. Without God, you cannot continue to taste the goodness of these things. You will go down a path that doesn't just get darker and darker. It gets duller and duller and duller with less capacity to even taste the good life. Here's why. Because God is the very essence of good. He doesn't just have good as a commodity that he distributes. He is good. He doesn't just have life as a commodity that he can dispense. He is life. So when you turn away from God and say, I'll try to do life without God... Never mind, I won't have God, but all this goodness in the world will be so delightful. It will not. It will not. You will lose the capacity to taste the good life because God is at the heart and center of all of that. Here's what I think is interesting. I read a lot. I hope you read some. You don't find Christian authors talking about boredom. I'm so bored. I'm 47 and I'm bored. 
Christians don't write about being bored. Why? When you know God, life actually becomes more alive, more color, more taste, more to everything. I enjoy classical music more. I enjoy art more. It is a lie when you think Christians want to bash all the good stuff in life. We do not. We enjoy it more, more, more. Look through history. For centuries, it was Christians who made some of the greatest discoveries about our world, who were some of the greatest artists, some of the greatest composers. I've been listening to Handel's Messiah for weeks now. The man loved God and composed and wrote some of the most glorious, soul-stirring music you could ever listen to. It's because he knew God. He was able to taste more and see more. And he wanted to display that for the glory of God. Life goes up, not more into black and white when you become a Christian. Mark my words, my friend. If you keep heading down a path of I'll do it without God, it will not just get darker. It will get duller. And you'll have to keep propping it up with more of something, more of something. Now, that doesn't get it. I need more of something. Even like when you think about creation, I also am stirred by creation. I've been reading some history about poets, Shelley and others. And they were all so moved and jazzed by creation. I get it. I mean, I'm moved by a blackberry bush. And when they do it well in a poem, I'm like, yes, I think I could just cry over this blackberry. Yes. I love it. But here's what I found that I said, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I've been reading all this. And then I had a day of prayer way out in the middle of nowhere on 300 acres back towards Rabbit Hash. And I'm just walking down a path on a December day with a still gray sky and dead limbs silhouetted all against it. And when I would stop walking and my boots stopped crunching the gravel... It would be so still. And I would just see a couple of deer dart with their white tails. And I was moved by all of it. I understand why they're moved by creation. But here was my next thought. I think I would still feel sick to my stomach. I would still say, but where do I fit in this? I still feel lost, like a soul lost. Does anyone know I'm here? Does anyone care that I'm here? Does anyone, do I exist for a reason? Where do I fit in this? Just being stirred by creation would not be enough. And it's not. That creation, that music, that wonderful meal, food, culinary, that artwork, that friendship, you name it. All those things were meant to cause you to say, if this, then who behind this? I want to know him. And here's the good news. He wants to know you. He's not hiding. That's what Christmas is about. God is not hiding from you, my friend. He wants you to know him so badly that he took on flesh and left the glories of heaven and stepped down into our world. That's what Christmas is about. So that you wouldn't keep feeling lost. So that you wouldn't wonder if you have a purpose. So you wouldn't wonder where you fit in this ginormous cosmic universe. Let me point out another universal response that's a mistake to darkness. Number three. Oh, I hear it right now. I've heard it all year. This giant sucking sound. Oh, my friends, listen to me. 
You've heard it too. Don't get sucked into the confusion and fear of this darkness. Woo, here's how this works. Darkness, confusion, and fear go together. And they swirl like a tsunami. You don't just say, it's been really dark, but nobody's been afraid. Shut up. It's been really dark, but there's clarity. Everyone agrees there's no confusion. Where have you been? There's been darkness. There's been unbelievable fear. There's been record confusion. It all goes together. Always has. Nothing new under the sun. Oh, look at what was going on in chapter 8, verse 12. Same deal. Chapter 8, verse 12. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hollow. That means honor him. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. He will be a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Oh, listen to me. Nothing new under the sun. They had gross darkness, fear, confusion, conspiracies, rumors, threats. They just didn't have the internet to send it to their friends immediately. They had to walk to another village or ride a donkey to tell their friend, be scared. Did you hear? Now we just hit send. And everyone can just freak out immediately. Like we've got fear and confusion on steroids. But what breaks my heart is we've got some Christians at the middle of that tsunami acting no different. You guys, conspiracies, threats, confusion, rumors. We still have what this passage is talking about. Let him be your fear. When you fear God, you don't have to fear other people and things. And he's your sanctuary. If you don't know him, yeah, the passage goes on to say, he can be a stumbling block. You just keep stumbling over this truth that there's a God and you send his son. And it can be an offense. I'm offended. I'm offended. But when you know him, it's a sanctuary. Let him. And here's the other thing. Think about it. What's the Bible say? The fear of God is the beginning of something I think we need this year. Beginning of. You can't even be wise or make good decisions or have insights if you're not fearing God. If you're more afraid of what evil people can do against you, you're likely to make a bad decision. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. You said, well, what are we supposed to do, Brad? Two things in this passage that he tells us to do. Instead of buying into conspiracies and threats and rumors and two things. Fear God more than those you think can harm you. And get back to God's word. It's in this passage. Fear God and get back to God's word. Look at it in verse 19 and 20. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter. Should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law, to the testimony. That was a way that they referred to all the Bible. They didn't have the New Testament yet. The law and the testimony was shorthand for Old Testament. 
And the way it's worded there, you could translate it, get back to, you've gotten away from, to the law, to the testimony, fear God and get back to God's word. Trust in God's word and stop obsessing over other sources of information that you are being inundated with. But I hear Christians right now just running scared saying, but, 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 but. I got a butt. Well, more than just that butt. I got a but God. But God. Single T on the end. But God is what I want to say back. What happened to God's people? I keep being told, but now, but you don't understand. I think I do. And Ecclesiastes says, nothing new under the sun, folks. These are not the most terrifying days that have ever been on the earth. Realize that? This is not the most terrifying country to be in right now. They're not beheading us on beaches. I'm not in prison with my wife and family hoping I'm being fed. It's still a great place to be a Christian. We have great freedoms to still share the gospel and talk about Jesus and trust in God's word. We need to get back to it, to the law, to the testimony. So if it's not all that, don't try to deny it. Don't look for answers in the dark. Don't get sucked into the confusion and fear. Then what is it that we should be doing? Where can we find light in the midst of so much darkness? Look at verse 2 in chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, upon them a light has shined. In the original language right there, the Hebrew, literally you could translate that. Upon them a light has flashed. In the Hebrew, the word is flashed. It exploded. What is Isaiah talking about? I'll tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about the unexpected flash of Jesus taking on flesh and stepping down into our world. Who would have thought? I'll tell you who. Nobody else but Christianity has a God like that. Nobody. 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 He came down to us. He became one of us. He experienced all that we experienced yet without sin and then stayed to do something about the horrific sin problem that has twisted and broken everything and made it so dark. And he did not return to heaven again until it was decisively dealt with. When he hung on the cross, Jesus did not cry out, I hope this helps some. He said, it is, say it, say it louder, finished. I've done everything necessary for you to have hope in the dark, help in the dark. As you live with all kinds of problems, he never promised that we wouldn't suffer. You don't suffer alone. And you might suffer at the hands of wicked people. You'll never experience the wrath of God. Ever. And you're not going to hell. You're not going to hell. This life may be hard. It may be scary. But 100%, every human being is going to die. And after that, oh my goodness. Life only gets horrific and tragic and dark 
and painful for those who don't know him. And for those who do, we are ushered into the presence of the most glorious being. And we don't just float around in misty stuff with chubby arms and a harp. I don't want to do that either. He says that he will create a new heaven and a new earth. So that walk I had on the crunchy trail with a stark sky, we're going to see a new heaven. As much as that moved me, it's, it's right now groaning under the curse of sin. That nature that still stirs me, that music, that food, that friendship, that little baby, whatever, it's all groaning under the curse of sin. Imagine a new heaven and new earth with no curse in its original pristine glory for us to enjoy and be in his presence. Not for, it'll be a really good year for ever. And there will not be boredom because you'll be in the presence of an infinitely glorious being. So every day and week and month and year will be better than the one before. We can't even get, wrap our head around anything like that, right? Imagine saying, oh, but the next day, Oh, and the next day, oh, I, I don't have the octaves to get there. It's like, right? It's like being a mountain climber and thinking you've gotten to a precipice. I can't imagine this being better, but someone says, go higher. And you go and you're like, oh, and then you crawl up over one more ledge and it will never end. Say, thank you, Jesus. <sighs> he wants you to know him. He's not hiding. He doesn't just want you to have that experience one day, someday. He wants you to have the experience of him in your life now. Eternal life begins when? I came that you may have life and that you may have it more fully now. 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 And it, when you have an awareness of that, it changes how you face the darkness. Hope you realize, yes, this has been a hard year. I wouldn't deny that at all. Hardest year I've ever lived for, through hardest year I've ever tried to be a pastor. But here's what I really do believe. Consider this. This year was a mercy of God. If you've been thinking, mean God, he gave us 2020. What kind of God gives us 2020? I'll tell you what kind of God. A God that loves you so much, he doesn't want you to continue to just blissfully go through life with the trinkets and toys of this life, satisfied and land in hell. In the mercy of God, he gave us a year where so many of the distractions and comforts of this world that keep us from looking to him were taken away so that the light of Jesus is even more attractive. You're seeing it maybe. Maybe for the first time thinking, I think I need something else. I think I might need God. I can't do this. Consider this illustration. You go from the city. I live right there above Covington. Lots of I can see the city lights from Cincinnati. Lots of man-made light. You go from the city to the country. Way out. And all of a sudden you see stars like you've never seen before. Hope you realize they were always there. You just couldn't see it because of the distraction of all the man-made light. When it's removed, you're like, look at that. That's the year this has been. 
Oh, listen to me. This is a great year for you to see the light of Jesus and receive the gift of Jesus. Because I hope you know, Jesus is not just the son of God. He is the gift of God. For unto us, a son is, say it, given, given, given. But you have to receive it. You have to want it. And so often the reason we don't receive the gift is because our hands are already so full with something else. Or we're already so busy doing something else as a substitute for needing him. Or even consider, often human beings, being what we are, we're offended by the gift. You say, what do you mean? It's like opening a ginormous bottle of Listerine and saying, "Ah, thanks. It says something about you. Why would my family give me this? I guess they think I need this. Hug, hug. I'll re-gift this. That's how people feel sometimes about this free gift. I'm not that bad. What do you mean I need a savior? Stop being offended by the gift. Put down what you're holding instead of the gift. And oh my goodness, receive Jesus this year. You could be one of those people that says, oh my goodness, 2020 was my best year ever. I got saved. God saved me. Has God stopped saving people in 2020? Has God been like, oh my goodness, because of the political situation, can't do nothing. Bummer. I'm God. I would love to work. He's not been frustrated like we are, folks. And if Jesus is a gift, that means salvation is all of grace and not works. Which is why Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. I want you to bow your head as we close. Oh, listen to me, my friends. Before we head into all the gift giving and unwrapping next week, I want you to think some more about this free gift, the greatest gift of all. Don't leave this one unwrapped. Don't be offended by this one again this year. Don't pretend you don't need it again this year. Don't put off and say, later in my life, later in my life, I'll I'll consider this. You may not have later. If you would like to receive this free gift of Jesus, peace with God, forgiveness. I invite you to pray this simple prayer. You don't have to shake my hand, sign a card, walk the aisle, give any money. It's free. But you do need to pray something along these lines. Just pray this simple prayer after me. Dear God, I confess that I'm a sinner. You see my innermost thoughts, my ugliest parts that I keep hidden. And yet you sent Jesus to die for me. I believe that Jesus did for me what no one else could do. To pay the price for my sin and to give me peace with you right now. I surrender control of my life to Jesus. And I submit to him as my Savior, Lord, and King. Come into my life. In Jesus' name, amen.